Item one, hit the grocery store. Item two, laundry. Item three, overthrow capitalism. You know, for somebody who taught Latin, your inability to pronounce French, like, hurts. Oh, look at you getting to the end of my stuff. Motherfucker. But seriously, I do think that this bucolic, luxurious, live your weird fucking dreams kind of life is something worth noting. <sighs> because of course he had. I got into an argument essentially uh, with with some folks as to whether or not um, punching Nazis is something you should do. And they're like, no, then you're just as bad as the Nazis. I was like, the Nazis committed genocide. I'm talking about breaking noses. Drink scotch and eat strychnine. All right, you, you can't leave that lying there. Luxury poultry. Yes, yes. Fancy it's, chickens. Yes, fancy chickens. Pet, pet fancy chickens. Pet fancy chickens. nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Laylock. I'm a world history and English teacher at the middle school level here in Northern California. And uh, just earlier today, um, I encountered um, what I what I think is uh, one of the most evil plants uh, that that you can encounter in in suburbia. Um, so we're we're working in our backyard, um, and I noticed that uh, owing to neglect over the course of the winter, uh, one of the plants along our fence line had started taking up an, in, an inordinate amount of space uh, on our property. And so I went out to, to deal with it with an electric hedge trimmer. And in the process of doing it, um, over the course of roughly an hour, um, I got attacked by a hive of red ants who I can only assume had made some kind of pact with the evil spirit living at the heart of this particular shrubbery. Um, and then after I had dealt with that, um, I, I wound up uh, getting stabbed no fewer than three times through my work gloves by the thorns uh, coming off of the limbs of this thing. So uh, I, I have drafted a letter to the American Botanical Society to rename the Canadian choke cherry uh, Satan's Bush. Because they sound incredibly sexual. I am here for both. <laughs> yeah. Um if if you're into pain as a thing, maybe, but this, this is awful. This thing is fucking evil. She gave me a Tallahassee um, thistle. Well that's better yeah. than a Canadian choke cherry. That's friend. better than yeah, that's, yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. But I swear to God, this fucking plant. By the time I was done, uh, uh, trying to trying to prune this thing, I I was seriously looking into how much will it how much will it cost me to rent a fucking flamethrower? Well, and the, the I'm ants done. Are fire ants. Like, so you got yeah. attacked essentially by NAFTA. Yeah, pretty much. Fire ants from south from south yeah. of us, and yeah, yeah, and a Canadian. Great. Yeah, that's a good point. I. Mm -hmm. 
there you go the jeff garcia See? of backyards yeah. yeah no um so that was that was an hour out of my day today how about you well, I'm uncharacteristically chatty, uh, and I'm Damien Harmony. I am a history teacher at the high school level, soon to be no longer a Latin teacher at the high school level. As of the time of this dropping, I'm done teaching Latin. Uh, but for right now, for recording purposes, still in the thick of it. Um, and uh, this week, um, my daughter and I decided to make a new D&D subclass, as we do sometimes. We have done the College of the Idiot, which is... Now getting play tested in in a game that I'm in, um, nice. Yeah, and and so we came up with uh, the Muppet Warlock class called the Old Felt Ones or the Great Felt Ones, um, and it's essentially it's a warlock class, and you treat your patron as the all of the Muppets. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So like okay. at third level, you could you know how you get Tome of the Pact, Tome of the Chain, Tome of the Blade. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. now it's animals rage, um, piggies vengeance, and nice. Uncle Deadly's book. Uh, so, okay, so cool. Um, I like and it. then I like it. You, you also can get Kermit's Serenity, um, Rolf's song, uh, and oh, then when you go up to like okay. 10th level. You, yeah. Rolf's song is where you get uh proficiency in a single instrument, okay. Um, and then you get okay. up to like 10th level, and I think you get uh, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem's song, which gives you <laughs> temporary, uh, you know, temporary uh, uh, proficiency in, in at least three instruments. Um, and the final one, the final, final, like the, the highest level thing you can get is Waka Waka Waka. Um, and nice. It's it's essentially you you get a really high powered like mind whip essentially. Okay. Um, where it's it's like Tasha's hideous laughter laughter nice. but way more but way and, way bigger. Yeah. All right. And there was also uh you get uh, at one of the lower levels you get like Waldorf and Statler's heckling, which nice. Yeah, it, it paralyzes people. Do do you get do you so. get it at some point Gonzo's resilience? Oh, we had something with oh oh you get um. There was a thing where you can seduce exactly. any chicken in a ten foot radius. It close. Um, okay. you summon twelve regular chickens, um, and they each take up a, a square, making that square difficult terrain for passage, and they only do one point of pecking damage, which is piercing, and and they only they only get a plus two to do it. But you're doing it twelve times in a round if they surround someone, you know, and. I'm they weeping. each only have one hit point. So I'm weeping. This is so oh, awesome. So that their is, move that is 20. Is their like... levitation is 10, you know? Oh, <laughs> shit. And it all came because we were watching an episode of The Muppet Show. And I turned to her during the opening music. And I just kind of deepened my voice. I'm like, it's time to get it started. It's time to light the lights. It's time to raise the veil and summon the great felt ones tonight. Nice. And she's like, oh. <laughs> and since then, uh, she has uh. decided to write a story mapping out the entire cosmology of the Great Felt Ones. And the short version is they are created by the Furies because the Furies are spinning thread and the lint that fell from the Fates threads gathered. Okay, the, the Fates, not the Furies. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. she okay. knows better than I. 
Um, yeah. But uh, the, the, the lint gathered on the floor, and because it was from people's fate, it it gained consciousness and was swept into the side. And then it became kind of a who was the first one, who was the second one. So we've gone into the research of what was the first Muppet ever made uh, by Jim Henson and on and on and on. And it turns out when you die, for real die, like no more death saves or anything like that, the, the great felt ones know. They know when it's not just you getting death saves or you getting resurrected. They know your fate because they come from fate. Yeah, yeah. Okay. When you do die fully, completely, your character is completely dead, no longer able to be brought back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Scooter shows up at the door of the great felt ones theater and says, oh, you're our special guest tonight. And you do the show. And when you when when Scooter sees that you're not gonna die, he says, uh, "Tonight's not your night." And so you get whisked back in whatever way you do. She's writing the whole story, and the hero is going to die like three times so that you can see each time. <laughs> Speechless. Yeah. I am. I'm just sitting here yeah. grinning like an idiot. Yeah. Like. Oh my God! That's oh, it's so good, so brilliant. Yeah. So she's having a lot of fun with that. Oh. Uh, and you know, someone else is speechless actually in yeah. in this group here. Um, and our guest from last week uh, yes. came back for more. Uh, Andrew Sutherland, uh, who's still chasing his PhD, one year down. Um, and uh, Andrew, welcome back, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for bringing me back. I thought you would have kicked me out by now. Um, oh, no, oh my god! If you're enough of a glutton for punishment to keep coming back, we're not going to stop you. No. Yeah, well, we some so would say guests. I'm a masochist. So, <laughs> all right. Um, first off, I want to mm. make this point. I have not played D and D, but I really want to. I have always thought like maybe my first character would probably be a bard or like an a ranger or whatever. Sure. I think I would actually end up becoming a warlock if I can play that class. <laughs> because talk to whatever DM you get and see if it's too OP. Yeah, yeah like I mean, yeah, how could no, you not? That's a big thing. Yeah. Um like, how I... can you not though? Like, <laughs> come on. Especially yeah. with my Especially with my love of the Muppets, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, hi, I'm Andrew Sutherland. I am, as uh, Damien pointed out, uh, finishing my first year of my PhD program. I study media literacy, uh, psychophysiology, and what I like to point out, the cultic milieu, which is all the worst stuff, like conspiracy <laughs> theories, cults, uh, political extremism, stuff like that. And... Um, uh, since it's the summer, I'm doing a, like a lot of projects. I'm on uh, multiple different types of pro research studies and stuff like that. They're literally treating me like a workhorse. And one of the good things is, is that I myself and my advisor, really my advisor, got asked to write a chapter in an edited book. And our subject is on our what we're the book is focusing on health communication and and pop culture and our chapters specifically on media literacy health communication and pop culture and so i'm in a way taking lead i'm mostly writing it and so far what i've been mostly writing about in the introduction is kind of like i'm trying i'm basically pulling in all the muppets i can muppet information uh, um because a lot of health campaigns actually involve the Muppets and yes. Sesame Street. Yes. 
Yeah. And so what we're trying to do is bring <laughs> in like a lot of on, pop <laughs> Ted Cruz took that... on Big Bird. On <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talk about talk about picking fights, there's no way to win. Yeah, no, no kidding. No. Like no. Yeah. on so many levels. That's just well, that's awesome. Uh, so you're going to get yeah. some of that sweet, sweet, I was in an academic book money. I heard that that's all the rage. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's actually my second one. I'm still waiting for the check for the first one. I'm sure it's just around the corner, man. I'm, someday. Yeah, someday. It's going to pop. Eh. It's going to pop. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so literally one of the things I tried to do, and it's still working progress, but uh, let's see if I can find the article or the paper right now. Um I am trying to write the opening, and what I tried to do was uh, open it up with the Muppets theme song. It's time to read a chapter. It's time to pop the culture. It's time to learn about health come when it comes to media literacy tonight. Uh, <laughs> it's let's, let's send it back a couple times. But, it's a, uh, it's yeah, a workshop no. that. But yeah, it's, it's a, a workshop. It's a start. I, it's a start. I, like, I like the bones. I, like, yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah. love the approach. So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so just be opening it up with that. Yeah, I uh, like pulling it. in, talking about various Muppet stuff and health campaigns, as well as some bad stuff. Like there was something, there was a bad issue, a situation last year, I think, with TikTok and a puppet character who was spreading certain types of ideology using a puppet. Was this I can't the remember Jesus puppet? No, not that okay, one. Good. It was a, um, it was a Star Wars puppet or something, really? and. They were promoting uh, homophobia and stuff like that. And so what I wanted to try to do is open up with like, hey, media literacy is important. Mm -hmm. While while the Muppets can be used to uh, promote health campaigns, positive messaging, bad faith actors could use uh, this image of something that is wholesome to spread uh, ill ideology in many ways. Sure. So like uh, because he's all about Muppet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's time Except to that's get wholesome. Well. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I I I think I know where Ed's gonna fall on the Muppet thing, because you know, it's Muppets don't kill people. People kill people. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> but he still Basically, believes I mean, in background yeah. checks for, for Yeah. Well, I mean, anytime yeah. you're gonna deal with plush, you need to you need to have a background check yeah. before you before you get a hold of uh, puppet making materials. Yeah, I mean, you need a wand. That's safe. obvious. Yeah. So yeah, you know. So a fun fact, continuing on with this Muppets theme, I went to West Virginia University for my undergrad and my master's program, which is one of the very few schools that had a puppetry program that was directly tied to Jim Henson. Oh wow! And that was because his, I think his wife went mm-hmm. to West Virginia or was from West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Cool. It's been a while. I haven't thought nice. that's cool. Yeah, while. that's but, um, pretty cool. Other stuff I'm trying to write about in the chapters, talking about other types of pop culture icons, such as Tom Hanks and uh, and Dolly Parton when it came to vaccine messaging, in comparison to Joe Rogan and uh, Russell Brand, who promoted more conspiratorial thinking around it. Right. Right. So, <laughs> you mentioned. Uh, two people who have said yes to most things in life, and then two people who've never heard the word no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and the reason why is because yes, media literacy. We can talk solely about the bad stuff, but we can also talk about the good stuff too. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of the bad stuff, um, <clears throat> when last we <laughs> talked, uh, Cindy yeah. Lauper was beating the shit out of 
uh, out of uh, Ronnie Albano? Piper and Captain oh, Lou Piper. Albano. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, with her purse, and David Wolf had to yank her off. Remember? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, the next the next week uh, on June twenty third, uh, Rowdy Pipe Roddy Piper went to Cindy Lauper's recording studio to confront her and ask her for an apology because she behaved so badly on Piper's Pit. And in fairness, she started assaulting men on a talk show. I mean, who does that in wrestling? Um, <laughs> and and he, of course, heals it up completely. And, the, of course, there's like three cameras there, too. So and, and she looks to the camera at this point. Right. And he's like, you know, and, you know, Cindy, you're going to need to apologize. And you and he just goes in on her. And she looks straight at the camera and she cuts a promo on Albano and Piper. It's not very good because it's Cindy Lauper cutting a promo, not a seasoned wrestler. But she says, quote, let me tell you something, Mr. Albano, which I love the foreshadowing there. Um, I challenge you, you big fat bag of wind. Um, Ooh, now, all right. At this point, Hulk Hogan has Ooh. not been mentioned at all. Um, yeah. At all. All because from February through March, he's now the champion. New champion goes to Japan and wrestles all over there. And when he gets back, he's got a few heater matches. Now, a heater match is where you don't have a main feud, you have bad guys that everybody loves to hate. And essentially, they're just kind of seeing what's going to stick with the fans. So he has a short feud with D. David, Dr. D. David Schultz. Um, you might remember him as the guy who slapped the shit out of John Stossel, right? Um, he has a few matches with Tiger Chung Lee, uh, who is a Korean wrestler who spits green stuff in your face. Um, okay. Or I might. Yeah, there were. It, stuff. it was it was a weird thing. Like uh, every Asian wrestler for a little while who was a singles wrestler spit green stuff in people's faces. The great Muda did it. Tiger Chung Lee did it because Hogan even caught it on tape once and rubbed it in Tiger Chung Lee's eyes. And essentially what it is, is it's um, I want to say it's like Kool-Aid powder. And you just get a mouthful okay. of spit. And you, oh, you know. okay. All right. Um, and he wrestles with Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful. Um, and uh, he has a heater feud with Big John Studd. Again, a main bad guy. Uh, and and this is kind of trying to figure out what's sticking and also establishing him as a guy who can really beat a lot of known heels. Um, and this one is the foray into Piper and Hogan beginning their feud too. Like what, what she's doing, what Lauper's doing is going to lead to Hogan and Piper finally feuding. Um, and then in May, Hogan goes back to Japan for about a week. He even teams up with big John stud. Cause it's different over there because if you're American wrestlers, you are Gaijin and uh, you know, the, the fans love to hate you and sometimes they'll, they'll cheer you on. Um, and then he does another trip to Japan in early June. And when he comes back, he was involved in a few battle Royals. And these were where he was able to safely put over big John stud. Now a battle Royal is anywhere from six to 20 men is the original anywhere from six to 20 men, um, in the ring at the same time. And the last one still left in the ring wins the way that you get everyone out is by throwing them over the top rope. Now, as I had said before, Throwing somebody over the top rope was usually grounds for disqualification. So that's what makes the Battle Royal so dangerous. And Battle Royals were a tradition at the Cow Palace in San Francisco in December. It was a big deal. They were a big draw of a match because you get to see all the wrestlers, you know. Um, in these Battle Royals, Hulk Hogan would often get thrown over the top rope by Big John Studd 
while he was distracted or fighting off three other guys or whatever. And it puts over Stud without really hurting Hogan. Um, and this elevates Stud for the feud that he's going to have with Andre the Giant. Um, oh, okay. All right. And Hulk Hogan also wrestles Moondog Rex, but not Moondog Spot. And yes, I'm serious. Those are both guys. Wow. So creative. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they would come wearing torn up jeans and carrying a bone. That's a little rough. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, and it was during the dog days of summer. <laughs> oh, look at Ed pinching his nose. Uh, uh, I'm just howling over here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, honestly, if you take a look at a picture of, of Moondog Rex, he is pug ugly. I mean, yeah. Uh, so uh, and then at, at, <laughs> at one point, Hogan fights a, a guy who is um, he he came off of the sheep station in the Alsace Lorraine territory. He was a German shepherd. Um. Uh, anyway, so. you can't even come up with this stuff in laboratories. Exactly. <laughs> Poor Ed. the The problem with a podcast, and I've heard this complaint from people, is ah, that damn it, they just hear me laughing at Ed's silence, and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. So <laughs> I I frequently it listen. Be. I frequently listen be. and. I, I I did not imagine like I always just thought Ed just puts his head down and just is like <laughs> uh he you know. he just leans back and is just like uh yeah. you can see the frustration yeah. just I, leaving him. Yeah. Oh it's so, uh, so anyway. God damn good? it. Okay. You you need another <laughs> yeah. minute? Yeah, no, I'm fine. Okay. I'm fine. Carry on. Wow. Doc soon. All right. So, meanwhile, on July 13th, 1984, as Ed is ready to punch me, this is why I didn't want you to come over to record. Um, <laughs> on July 13th, 1984, on MTV, you remember MTV? That was the thing. There was a panel hosted by VJ Alan Hunter who asked Captain Lou, quote, why should anybody believe a man who has rubber bands on his face? And Lou... Okay, yeah. Lou's response was because my honesty and my integrity is beyond reproach. Which okay, good heel work. Like yeah, yeah. that's great heel yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Especially since sounds like, like a politician. That's well, perfect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like both the similar the 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 relationship between politicians and uh, wrestlers are just who lies more frequently. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who sells better? Um, yeah. But, so uh -huh. then, then Alan Hunter goes on to chide Roddy Piper, calling Piper's pit a quote disgrace to professional wrestling and journalism. Uh, Piper gets up and comes around the desk, so it's just basically two tables with a curtain on them. Comes around it and begins cutting a promo, and he's like, "You sit there, 140 pounds. Obviously, you've been taking female steroids half your life. You're gonna come and insult me. We can do it right here, you skinny little jerk, and or geek." Um, and he grabs Hunter by the tie, drags him over the table behind them. You can see Lou Albano giving David Wolf a few punches, but they're absolutely working punches. Um, like he's lifting him up by the back as he's punching him in the gut. You know, it's that kind of um, that kind of thing. Cindy Lauper then jumps over the table to attack Roddy Piper, and that causes Roddy Piper to flee, um, screaming, get this witch away from me. Then she picks up a chair and attacks Captain Lou with it. 
Uh, and all of this work through this point has been to cross promote WWF and MTV because WWF is still largely a regional promotion and it's trying to become global. And MTV was riding the cable wave into households across America. So if you have WWF on MTV, it's a big fucking deal for WWF. There was a huge increase from 1980 to 1984. Cable households went from 23% of the country to 46% of the country. I don't do math very well, but I'd say that's almost double. And MTV was mainly, it was mostly a basic cable channel. So everybody who had cable had access to MTV almost 100%. Um, by January of 85, that repre represents over 32 million subscribers. And so the WWF is pushing its main villain super hard on MTV. And MTV is like, oh, cool, programming. Because they were having trouble <laughs> keeping up with programming. There would be times where the screen to feed went the black, beast. black. Yeah. 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 There were times where the screen went black because they were switching VHS cassettes for the different videos. <laughs> so um i'm not i'm not fully up to date on like the history of uh professional wrestling sure at, at how long at this point has the wwf been televised so you remember the madison square garden network right yeah so that goes back into the 70s okay so they're televised now vince mcmahon jr mm -hmm. took over in like 82 83 okay and he's giving the programming to to uh different uh networks around the country different locals around the country mm -hmm. basically for free which they're not going to turn that down and that's no. and he's basically you know what he's doing is he is inner he is um microsoft internet exploring wrestling yeah he's offering yeah, it no, for free whereas the other territories were charging for syndication rights and he's and he's doing that in order to make it ubiquitous yes and yeah, yeah. To to make them think, you know what? I don't want to spend twenty bucks for for Netscape. I want to just get this free browser. But also, now you've saturated that market. So when WWF does come in, they're making money because mm -hmm. people want to see those stars. Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. So at this so, point, yeah, go on. So Vince really kind of like took that as an opportunity to make it more nationally recognized yeah. instead of having these various different um local divisions. syndicated networks yeah 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 yeah, yeah. okay Absolutely. okay yeah. and then from there it's not just oh i know this one wrestler who is mostly in this area right. i now know it more as a national thing right yeah so, so yeah. what we're seeing yeah and oh, yeah, then on, by using on. mtv as an extra um as an extra advertising Mm -hmm. sphere or whatever you're reaching much more potential for newer audiences and he's reaching a certain demographic too see wrestling yeah. up until this point had largely been a guys my age and maybe guys your age kind of spectator uh spectacle um mm -hmm. there you know it, it was it was working class people coming uh, and, and usually in our thirties, maybe, maybe mid 20, you know, parents, right. But you leave the kids at home by advertising on MTV. And by the way, all he's advertising on MTV is their top feud. Not all the feuds, just the top one, just enough to wet your whistle, just enough to keep you interested. And it's, it's getting in front of the eyes of kids. Mm -hmm. And that's and, different. Yeah. And it, and it really helps because mm -hmm. the whole, 
marketing strat- strategy of MTV was we are different from regular TV yes. in many ways. Yes. Um, we are your generation. Mm-hmm. The We yeah. represent you. And kind of going back to what we previously talked about with Colgan engaging in that populist rhetoric, yep. we're kind of seeing that in a lot of ways and avenues mm-hmm. to pull in new audiences. I would love to see data on mm-hmm. if people, early watchers of MTV, are still consistent with watching wrestling today. I would love to see that. Yeah, all I've got is anecdote. Pretty much yeah. everybody my age who watches wrestling usually had more money than me growing up, so they they all had cable, mm-hmm. and most of them did grow up on MTV. Most of the people I know who love wrestling at my age are either professional uh, comedians, um, <laughs> or uh, and there's a lot of overlap uh, with with comedians and and wrestling. Um, or they are, uh, oh God, I, I guess teachers um, would be the next next level. So the the people I hang with, but I saw like there was a greater representation yeah. of uh, in in comedians. But interestingly, most of them care a shit ton more about music than I do, and I bet you they grew up on MTV. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. yeah. So now at this point, have you noticed who's not on MTV? Well, Hulk. Right. Yeah. And, and in fact, the next step of this feud was called the Brawl to End It All. And it was on July 23rd, 1984 at Madison Square Garden in front of 23,000 people. Now, at this point, TV is absolutely there to drive interest in the actual live events. Okay. You don't have pay-per-view yet. You don't have stuff like that quite yet. It's coming. <laughs> it is. He is. He's definitely seeding it. Um, Cindy Lauper had picked Wendy Richter uh, to fight against Captain Lou's wrestler because she's, you know, Cindy Lauper is not going to take on Captain Lou. So you pick your wrestler. I'll pick mine and we'll settle this. Right. Um, Captain Lou had picked the fabulous Mula uh, for the women's title. Now, kayfabe Mula had held the title for 28 years. In reality, she'd held the title for maybe seven, which is really fucking long. Um, Mula is her own story, and it is rife. Like, you know, most wrestling stories are rife with abuse, you know, because it comes from carny culture. Mula's is especially terrible, and she is on both ends of it. But for most of her career, he's she's on the really awful end of it. She, she is the one doing the terrible things. Uh, to the point where they announced a fabulous Mula, Mula battle royal. And Twitter took took to the streets. Um, this was years ago. This is like four years ago, five years ago. They took to the streets, and they're like, "Oh, so does that mean every woman who wrestles in the battle royal is is only going to get sixty percent, and the rest will go to Mula's estate?" Um, you shit like that. Like it, and that was you know amongst the the tamer things that they said. And so they changed it to the May Young Memorial uh, Battle Royal. And May Young had also been friends with Mula, and May Young has her own really interesting history. Women's wrestling is a fantastic study of just how awful you can make things. Um, So that's a whole different podcast. Uh, anyway, women's uh, match was the only match that was shown on national cable TV, on MTV. This women's match at the war to settle, or at the brawl to end it all. The other matches, including Hulk Hogan facing off against Greg the Hammer Valentine to retain the title, that was recorded, and it was shown on the Madison Madison Square Garden network, but it was not on MTV. 
So Hulk Hogan is not on MTV yet. It is a women's wrestling match. It's the first wrestling match shown on MTV. How, huh. you know, yeah, yeah. It's it's really yeah. interesting too because of Wendy Richter's history. And and I'll, I think I'm going to go into it a little bit later, but um, okay. This was apparently not a successful brawl to end it all. It did not end it all, um, as it turns out. <laughs> well, of course it didn't. Come I on was now. Yeah. Um, Cindy Lauper <clears throat> continued to make appearances with the WWF, even celebrating with the fabulous Freebirds, which, I mean, you want a very truncated run, you go to the fabulous Freebirds. You might recognize them from the opening scenes of Highlander. That wrestling match that he's at, that's the Freebirds when they were in WWF and they were in for not even a hot cup of coffee. It was warm. Like they essentially, the fabulous Freebirds, they're famous. They they're one of the first first wrestlers to bring to to have music playing, have rock and roll music playing. They went all over the Southern territories. They did great work in Texas. They did great work in Georgia, all throughout the Midwest. Um Really, really solid team. Like, really, just you paid money to want to see them get their asses kicked. Um, but somehow <laughs> they pissed off Andre the Giant. And he basically scared them out of town that night. Okay, like, kayfabe scared them out of town? No. Or like, no shit, we're fucking leaving because we're he's going to kill here. us all. Yes. See, that really? You yes. got to fuck up hard to get Andre the Giant the boss mad at you yes and no like he was very particular like he mercurial yeah yeah so if you in any way fucked with the business you were dead to him as in he would try to kill you not literally but pretty close (laughs) yeah Um, like career wise yeah yeah uh big john stud he ran big john stud out of town because Big John Stud had the temerity to step over the top rope, and that was Andre's thing. Oh, and that was the whole thing, though. You know, Big John Stud was like, "I'm challenging the giant," and Andre's like, "You're not going to fuck with my money, boss." And so, <laughs> gone. Um, like he beats the shit out of Stud in a match, and Stud leaves the match right after, and goes like, by all reports, uh, and again, keep in mind this is carny culture, so everything is like you know. Turned yeah. up to 20. But by all reports, he just went and grabbed his shit and left, like in gear, just <laughs> left. And sure enough, he did not. You don't see him after the first WrestleMania until he comes back for WrestleMania 5. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, oh. if, if you get if you get intimidated by a wrestler, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But getting intimidated by Andre the Giant, the man was how many feet tall seven foot seven four. four yeah like mm-hmm. you know i mean the, the pictures the pictures of him and wilt chamberlain standing on either side of arnold schwarzenegger and holding like, him off the ground like you would hold a child yeah yep like that's that's mr universe you guys are holding him off the ground Did like right. <laughs> what the Is, fuck isn't there a story about andre the giant picking up arnold schwarzenegger and putting him on like a like the, a oh shelf? yeah yeah they're arguing okay yeah. so while while they're on the set for um Conan, uh, Conan the, destroyer. the destroyer yeah yeah uh yeah. Arnold and Andre hang out because they're both the Europeans this is before yeah. they decide to involve Wilt in anything yeah. so they go out drinking and 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 dining and Andre's whole thing was he always paid 
And Arnold was mm-hmm. like, no, no, I'm going to pay. And Andre's like, no, I pay. And and Arnold's like, yeah, no, I, I'm going to pay. And so Arnold or Andre just picks him up like a baby and sets him up out of reach of the check and then goes and pays. The best story, <laughs> <Yeah>. though, from <gasps> that is actually one that Ed told when we were talking, I think, about Conan. Yeah. And uh, and they took um, they took they, Wilt they took, out. They took Wilt with them. Drinking. <laughs> and the next day, Wilt was just he couldn't keep up. You can't. <laughs> no. Yeah. Isn't keep up with Arnold and Andre. And afterwards, Wilt's just like kind of what was it? He was he was kind of ashamed, right? He went to them, he's like kind of eating yeah. crow. And they're like, No, you kept up. Good job. You, you, you did, know? you did, you did great. Yeah, yeah you no, did better you than can, most. No, you can hang. Yeah, no. My God. Because because I mean, for God's sakes, Arnold was only six feet tall six right. one or whatever yeah but like solid muscle i mean that was yeah. that was that was the so like his metabolism is such that like you, you he could drink as much as he wanted to yeah he's and wolverine like he'd, at this point yeah he'd get know? he'd get you know shit face drunk but right. like you know he'd he'd recover quickly because all the all the muscle was just burning everything off and then and then andre is you know seven foot four and weighs 500 pounds 500. whatever you know yeah. Um, and so, uh, and, and the other thing was that, that, um, even Arnold was taken aback at, at how much Andre drank. Yeah. The thing was, you got to remember that Andre was in constant low grade pain all the time. Oh, so he's my medicating. God. So yeah. he was self-medicating yeah. basically constantly. And like well, he, in Carrie Elvis's, drink- uh, uh, memoir of, Prince yeah. of Pride, he describes exactly what Andre would drink and it's those really large pitchers that people pour water for you out of. Oh and it God. was loaded with mostly hard alcohol and then wine. And that's like what, 40, 50 ounces. It's, it's uh, and yeah. He called that his Americano like and he would just chug that <laughs> down. Just, like yeah. it was a Stein. My goodness. What a man. Yeah. Well, yes. like, holy cow, you know, it's, it's amazing that, you know, what killed him wasn't cirrhosis of the liver, but you know, and and so these these two guys are are you know who who you're going out to party with? Like, there's the most athletic men in the world. Two, yeah. Well, and Will Chamberlain, of course, is yeah. You know, in that same category of athletic, but it's a different kind of athletic. Well, Will Chamberlain, remember, you know. was a track star. Yeah, like he was setting <laughs> records in track. Yeah, I mean, he's seven feet tall, but he is he. You know, you had he's you had skinny. Bill Russell, who was yeah. skill and fundamentals, and Will Chamberlain was muscle yeah he would pound you in on the yeah. yeah on the basketball court yeah, it's but, like context is everything like yeah you know well, also yeah. he would pound you i mean twenty thousand. Yeah, well, you know yeah. uh, <laughs> but but yeah so andre the giant uh th- there were a number of wrestlers that he ran off um three of them being the fabulous free birds they're just like <laughs> fuck it we're out <laughs> peace we're gone yeah Bye-bye. So, so on December first, <laughs> good night. Vince McMahon on December first, or 1984, Vince McMahon interviewed David Wolf, um, saying that uh, that uh, and Wolf said that Cindy Lauper was going to present the WWF with a platinum album since hers had gone triple platinum. Uh, she had sold more than three million albums. I had to dig into what all that means. Um, but essentially she sold more than 3 million albums and as a thanks to the WWF for helping her do that, she was going to present them with one of her platinum albums 
at Madison Square Garden at the end of the month. So the end of 1984. Okay. The next week, Roddy Piper had Captain Lou Albano on Piper's Pit. And at this point, you see Roddy Piper starting to form his alliance with Cowboy Bob Orton, second second generation wrestler, father of Randy Orton, actually. Um, and Cowboy Bob Orton just kind of stands there in the background. His his nickname is Ace. And he is Roddy Piper's bodyguard. And Piper would interview. He does the standard interview where like he asks the question, hold the mic to you, and then comes back and asks the question. Right. So he didn't let Lou get a word in edgewise. And he ends up cutting a promo on Cindy Lauper saying that she wanted a date with him, but he was always turning her down. And you see here that Lou is a little stymied by this. So this begins Lou's face turn. Uh, okay. This also brings us to the guest VJ hour uh, where Hulk Hogan joins Cindy Lauper to introduce music through the next hour. And this was okay. just ahead of the December 28th Madison Square Garden spot. So this is the first time you see Hulk Hogan on MTV. Okay. I watched the whole thing. Um, now Hogan is fully enmeshed in this feud that had nothing to do with him. He wasn't wrestling as a part of it. He wasn't connected to any of the wrestlers that were part of it. And now he's there. And uh, he's getting all the primetime attention. He's getting all the hype. And he's really doing a great job with it, to be honest. Like, if you watch, he is electric. You know, most people, when they're doing, well, hey there, MTV. Uh, we're really glad to bring you the Cars. Uh, they're one of my favorite bands. He's cutting full-on promos. Let me tell you something, brother. I'm so happy to see this. Have you seen this? Group? And just go. I mean, he is a natural at this. Commitment um, to the bit is yes. one of his strengths. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and he's wearing the yellow and red, and he's wearing the championship belt. And further, he rips off his shirt in the beginning right after an intro was made using Eye of the Tiger. And it shows him walking to the ring to win the title. Don't worry, he puts on a different shirt throughout the show, uh, which is really good marketing. Like, you don't like the yellow with red? We've got red with yellow. Um, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure... <laughs> We've it... got the photo negative of that. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and I'm can... pretty sure that uh, the guest VJ spot was live, or it was taped to live, too. Um, and he introduces himself as, quote, the Incredible Hulk Hogan, which goes against what the contract with Marvel had stated. But it seems to have been worth the risk because look at the exposure he's getting. Well, he yeah. Al he also called himself the Incredible Hulkster as well. And he advertised that they're going to show his championship match on MTV at the end of the hour. Uh, mm -hmm. And later in the show, Hulk Hogan interviews Cindy Lauper. And he is praising her ability to combine wrestling and rock and roll. And Lauper goes into business putting over Wendy Richter. As twenty as one hundred and forty five pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal, um, and she All then right. yeah, and then she puts mm -hmm. Hulk Hogan over for his energy and his ability to connect with the masses, per what we've been talking about. Okay, so at this point, like. Hogan had nothing to do with this, and now he's stepping in. And not only is he stepping in, all the air is going into him. So that's a very and, Trumpian kind of mm, thing. Like yeah. he he shows up, and all of a sudden, nobody's talking about anybody else. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. despite <laughs> and and so despite the fact happen, him yeah. like, why are you here? Right. Well, here's the thing: yeah. he is the world champion, right? And Wendy Richter had beaten the fabulous Moolah, so she is the world champion. So, 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. But I got to say, Hulk Hogan is a goddamn cartoon of a human being at this point. He is so animated. He is such great hype, such great energy. He's repeatedly introducing himself as the incredible Hulk Hogan. And he introduces Wendy Richter, who is a huge step down from Hogan's energy. So he's <laughs> he's the heavyweight champion of the world and is the women's champion. And Wendy Richter, I'm Wendy Richter and fabulous Moolah. You had better watch out because I'm coming after you again to show you a lesson. I don't lay down for no one. Like, I mean, it it literally is that big of a level drop and and mm-hmm. so i don't think they did this on purpose to highlight him but he 100 benefits from that yeah well yeah yeah well he also has like a ton he he probably has way more like media experience in that yes, sense he, he was on jimmy carson uh years ago yeah as yeah, well yeah, and yeah. He, he he's been working on this persona clearly for years absolutely and so he figured out who he is and he's gonna really promote it and of course people yeah. are gonna recognize the difference and pay more attention to hulk yeah. um because he's exhibiting way more non-verbal immediacy behaviors mm-hmm. okay yeah. hold on back up that's that's I, I I think I know what that means, but when you say yeah. nonverbal immediacy behaviors, like what yeah. are, what specifically are we talking about? What is that? Yay. Um, I get to talk about calm stuff. So nonverbal yeah. immediacy behaviors are we have nonverbal behaviors and it means something, but there are specific ones, specific behaviors that exhibit a feeling of connection between you and the audience. So like the prime example, best one uh is eye contact. And in many ways, um it is directly connected or it's a it offers a moderating effect yeah moderating or mediating effect when it comes to perceptions of credibility so if you are perceived as more open your voice is more animated and you're excited people are going to be more attracted to that they're going to view you as either more competent uh having higher character or being perceived as more caring and in all honesty perceptions around credibility caring is the most impactful uh dimension of credibility i feel your Uh, pain exactly (laughs) um but thank you uncle billy yeah but other types of nonverbal immediacy behaviors tends to be like posture eye contact um i'm thinking movement Nixon, nixon kennedy debate Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kennedy, we use that as an example when I teach it a lot of times. Kennedy is perceived as more approachable while Nixon is sick. He's literally sick at the time. Yeah. 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 Um, And Nixon refused makeup, if I recall correctly. Yeah, that was another thing. Oh, no, no. (laughs) Touch me up, Which which I got excited today because um, my partner and I, we were watching, we watch things because we're long distance right now. And uh, we were watching a um, taskmaster and an ad for YouTube came up. They're coming back with clone high and I got ecstatically excited. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So like eye contact, vocal variety is another thing. And that's what we see with Hulk. He's more animated and he's more, uh, he's having a quicker rate with his voice and he's mm-hmm. sounds more excited and he's showing he cares. He's In going comparison... at the camera, whereas mm-hmm. Wendy is shrinking from it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and having more, uh, like you said, uh, uh, more of a variation in the tone of his voice between sentences as, as opposed to, clearly reading off a teleprompter and not 
really and, and not there. being yeah. able. Yeah, or or just yeah, or just or I just have being these like, five bullet points I need to hit. In yeah, I, <laughs> I gotta remember. I've, yeah, I've taught public speaking for six years, and the amount of times <laughs> I told people sound like you care that about the topic is astounding. Yeah, yeah, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. Hello, yeah. everybody. Today I'm going to be talk. I did have one student do a speech. And it was still one of my favorites about like the history of professional wrestling. Ooh. And he imitated either Hulk Hogan or, uh, or, um, Macho Man. Yeah. The entire time. Ooh, uh, he yeah. lost his voice at the end, but yeah. Well, just, <laughs> that's see, that's, okay. that's perfect though. Like, like if you, if you put all of that out there. Oh, yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's the best way to have done that for, for wrestling. Frankly, well, and also like one hundred ten percent commitment. What you lack in substance, you know, you can make up for in sizzle. As if you look at yeah. any promo that Macho Man did. Actually, fun fact about Macho Man: he had a one minute promo and a thirty second promo, and the difference was, oh, I got thirty seconds. Okay, uh-huh. cream of the crop, rise to the top. Uh-huh. Oh yeah! And if it was a one minute, cream of the crop, rise to the top. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you have to memorize any extra. Like it was kind of wow. <laughs> kind of going back to like nonverbal immediacy, there yep. is different effects with like the rate of your voice. If you sure. are speaking, we tend to recommend what was it, 120 to 150 words a minute. Uh-huh. Like that's kind of the average what amount of time we speak, kind of like Half a right, page right a minute, now. basically. Okay, if you're speaking yeah. too fast, uh, people might not be able to pick up things. While you might sound excited, you mm-hmm. might also be perceived as rushed. But if you slow it down and still have that enthusiasm, mm-hmm. that's kind of appealing to the ears. Yeah. You know, I also have noticed that with certain white right-wing demagogue, demagogues, mm. they'll speak just a little faster than the 150 and it keeps you from ever interrupting them and they can just pepper you with like more words. Well, yep. it's the gish, it's the gish galloping. It's gish galloping, yeah. I <laughs> um the after the first presidential debate in 2020, mm-hmm. the following day my department head asked if I would like to teach uh argumentation and debate. Mm-hmm. And I literally looked at that, her and I was like, absolutely not. No. Well, not in this day and age. <laughs> Fuck no. Uh, no. <laughs> Granted, I I no, do thank you. I did enjoy I do enjoy subbing for the I did enjoy subbing for the class. I'm sure. not gonna deal with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, having to having to come up with a with a syllabus for that, like thank uh, you, no. No. I, no. I I will I will respectfully decline. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so Hogan's there. Um and and Wendy Richter is a huge letdown from his energy. <laughs> and what's interesting is that he constantly is picking it back up. So again, it by contrast also, um, and they use these segments to advance the storyline. Uh, Cindy is talking about Lou Albano, Albano, Lou Albano's possible redemption too. Albano, yeah, that's <laughs> where um, I went with that. Like, uh, no, huh. I, yeah. right? Okay, um, sorry, different, different wrestler, different gimmick. Um, yeah. that's that's Adrian Adonis. Um, but uh. I'm not wrong. Uh, actually, that's gold <laughs> dust. Let's be honest. Really? Yeah, it I really think, is. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so anyway, Lou, she's she's pushing his his uh, redemption. possible redemption. She says, you know, here's the thing with with Lou is that he, he on account of the uh, calcium deposit in the quote medulla of his oblongata. Um, 
Which I again, <laughs> if she really talks that way, that's cool. But also, it does feel a little populist, like you're saying. You know, it's it's you know, uh, Ted Cruz's twang comes back in election years. You know, stuff like that. She's really hamming it up if she's if she's doing it on purpose. And if not, then more power to her. That's cool that she maintained that authenticity. Um, but yeah, she did say medulla of his oblongata. I had to pause and rewind three times to make sure that's what I heard. <laughs> she didn't really do that, did she? Okay, hold she on. She did, yeah. She she oh my god, she did. Okay. And she said that <laughs> since the brawl to settle it all, he was gonna turn things around. And she said that Albano apologized to her family and said he's going to change. Hogan put over Lou's sneakiness, asking Wendy to keep an eye on Cindy for him. So now Hogan is now giving orders to the person who was the star of this feud. Um, Cindy repeatedly is putting over that they've changed Lou, and Hogan warned that it might be another wrestler, or maybe Moolah, who would take the championship off of Richter. Which, I want to put a pin in that thought for you for a second. Then Hogan introduces Rod Stewart's video infatuation, like you do. Uh, Hulk Hogan also got to introduce his own match to a national audience where he beat the Sheik, the Iron Sheik. This is incredibly good for the WWF, and this is incredibly good for him specifically. Now, everybody can see how dominant a champion he is in a six-minute package. And this was his ability to bring eyeballs and interest to what was about to happen at the Madison Square Garden event. And so you know that's going to be hanging from the rafters, as Gorilla Monsoon used to say. So on December twenty eighth, nineteen eighty four. Oh yeah, what was that? Well, I just I want to I want to I want to take a second, um, mm-hmm. as you were saying, to put a pin in something here, uh, or to or to highlight something here. So all of this, the the whole time you're talking about, you know, him him being in this position to promote to to show his match off mm-hmm. to this to this you know global audience i'm picturing mcmahon like steepling his fingers like mr burns saying yes yeah i mean when he's because not, like, because this is harassing employees i'm sure well yeah i mean Allegedly, yeah but yeah for the purposes of this podcast whatever uh, yeah allegedly <laughs> right by allegedly. how many by how many people anyway um but like so this is this is this is McMahon, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. has made the executive decision to put Hogan in this position. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just oh, yeah. I'm, I'm I wanna I wanna Oh I wanna, this isn't again, Hogan like stumbling onto anything. Yeah, no, no I, I, I wanna, I wanna make sure that. I yeah. just I wanna I wanna make sure to underline and highlight yeah, the the symbiotic kind of relationship between Hogan's savvy and yes. McMahon's scheming <laughs> to the point where <laughs> like <laughs> later on down the road at WrestleMania 19, I want to say they did a storyline where Hogan basically in this WrestleMania 19. We haven't even gotten to WrestleMania yet in this podcast, yeah. but WrestleMania 19. Hogan and McMahon have a storyline where Hogan's like, I made the WWF and McMahon's like, I made Hulk Hogan. And they were both fighting over who had what influence. Okay. And you know who shows up with an iron pipe to hit Hogan in the head, by the way? Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper. Yeah. What? Yes. Hogan still ends up beating McMahon, but yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Of course. But but anyway, okay. So it's December 28th, 1984. Okay, and these dates are important because we're seeing this build toward 
something and then something else and then something else. Dick Clark himself. Yeah, he is there to introduce Cindy Lauper at Madison Square Garden to a sold out house for WWF's event there. How big was his check? Right. Um, and this is this is money well spent because, I mean, you're going to get coverage. Hulk Hogan and Wendy Richter were there that night right behind her because they're both the champions. Um, and Dick Clark introduces Cindy Lauper, presents a special achievement award from the w- So he's presenting the WWF's award for them to her. Hogan hypes the shit out of the crowd after that. Like, you know, you you guys are the real champions. Lauper turns around and presents Hulk Hogan with a golden platinum record award. Um, and I think she stumbled over her words, really. Um, but she takes it from David Wolf and gives it to Hulk Hogan and Wendy Richter. Okay, so here's this big thing that's in a frame. She then turned around and recognized Lou Albano in, in, and recognized that he has changed. And evidently, his calcium deposit has cleared up, and she's very glad. Um, she calls out the fact that Albano had helped her to raise, and this is legit, this is not even kayfabe, helped her to raise over $4 million for the fight against multiple sclerosis. Uh, and she brought uh, Captain Lou out. He comes out to a ton of booze, wearing as many rubber bands as any human being could have ever possibly fit onto a tuxedo. And the, the crowd still doesn't like him. She's trying to help him turn. And the crowd still is like, no, 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 no. We know he's a bad guy. We haven't seen him do anything redeemed yet. Okay. So she's been standing for him, but no. But then in comes Roddy Piper and Cowboy Bob Orton to to disrupt the proceedings. Piper grabs the award and smashes it over Lou's head. Now he's a good guy. Cindy dives for Piper's leg to stop him from kicking Lou while he's down. And he kicked her away. Now, by the way, Hogan uh, had left the ring at this point. That's why okay. he's not doing anything. Okay. So he'd left the ring. Now now the heels come, right? Um, so he, she grabs onto Piper's leg to stop him from kicking Lou while he's down. And Piper flings her off with his, with his leg. You know, get off, you know, get off, you little, you know, you little spider monkey. Um, this looks like he's kicking her, and everybody treats it as though he's kicking her. And then David Wolf gets involved, and Piper power slams David Wolf. So a body slam is where I pick you up and I lift you over my head and I send you to the mat. A power slam is where I hold you perpendicular to my body and I jump and land on you. Okay. Both of them, as I'm sending you to the mat, they are different from a suplex because a suplex lets gravity do the work. A slam is it's powered. So a power slam is I'm jumping and slamming. So he, he power slams David Wolf. Um, and finally, Hulk Hogan comes to the ring. This gets Lou over as a baby face, and Lou is going to go on to manage a whole bunch of tag teams to championship gold. Oh, okay. you were going to say? Right. No, keep carry on. Oh, okay. Um, more importantly, this whole stunt brought up the score that still needed to be settled, and it's going to take a lot to do so. It's going to take a war to settle this score. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And from there, it's going to be a series of junkets showing Hulk Hogan along with Captain Lou and Cindy Lauper accepting recognition for fighting MS. Now, Hogan didn't help raise that money. 
and yet now he is and yet there he is yeah mm. it's like what's what's the term it's like by accretion now like it's almost he's bonded uh, with them through via the transitive property yeah but like yeah. he is seen with them now and he gets in wrestling we call that getting the rub so he's getting the rub for all this credit about the ms stuff on january 19th so it's a new year while piper was healing it up Hogan was on hand with Cindy Lauper and Captain Lou. And now Albano endorses Hulk Hogan as a great champion. And now Captain Lou is just, if you had any doubts, he's clearly a good guy now. Um, full face turn status. But also, now that he's face turned, he can fade out of this feud. We don't need Lou anymore. Because really, this is turned into a feud between Hogan and Piper. Is really masterfully done storytelling, to be perfectly honest. Um, and so uh, Hogan comes to the fore. Wendy Richter kind of fades away. And this sets up the war to settle the score, also at Madison Square Garden. So, you know, you do all the things and you come back to the big house, right? The one that has its own network, the one where you've got all the recording capabilities, the one that you can then show those matches and stuff like that. Um, and on February 18th, 1985, you have the war to settle the score. Now, interestingly, although the brawl, brawl to end it all showed the match where Cindy Lauper uh, was directly involved, this one shows Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Piper on MTV. So now it's the main feud, right? Um, no other matches, by the way. So now Wendy Richter has been broomed to the side as well. Now, grant you, Hogan and, and Lopper and Lou and David Wolf were all in his corner. We're all in Hogan, Hogan's corner. Um, and, uh, and, and it also showed Hulk Hogan's good friend, Mr. T, sitting at ringside to watch the match. But the whole angle that started it all had been Captain Lou and Cindy and Roddy Piper and then it brought in Wendy Richter and the fabulous Moolah, and it kept them going. And then it turned into Hulk Hogan and Wendy Richter, and then it turned into Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Piper. So, so yeah, here's here, okay. Do you think that whole arc of transition mm -hmm. had been planned out? I mean, obviously yes. by, yes, by the man from the I beginning, do. that yes, was like yeah. the whole, the whole arc was okay. I think once Lou came to McMahon, once Lou Albano came to McMahon saying, Hey, the Cindy Lauper character, um, she could be good business for us. McMahon mm -hmm. started trying to figure out how can I get my biggest star into this big angle on the biggest network exposure that we could get. I absolutely think so. Was, okay. Dick, was Dick Clark involved in the second half? Uh no, he was just there for that night. It's just a a one spot. Ah uh, dang, single I've, single paycheck and out. Yeah, I thought Dick Clark would get the rub too. He was headed toward it. So. Yeah. So got a no, little shaft there, I guess. Yeah, I don't know uh. if he got paid or if he did it for skin. I don't know. He was a bit of a schmuck. Um, but <laughs> so uh, well done. Um. <laughs> So McMahon wanted this. Hogan presumably wanted this. And this means now we've seen two Hulk Hogan matches on national TV via MTV under the WWF. 
You saw them replay his uh, his win on um, on uh, over the Iron Sheik, and uh, now you see him against Roddy Piper on MTV at the War to settle the score, and and the Iron is hot now, and it's it's ready to strike. So this is kind of a tangent, sure. But how did Piper? Mm-hmm wind up being the guy that they selected to like okay no you're 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 ultimately you're going to be our heel here his whole gimmick was that he was insane um not okay. norman the lunatic insane like we would see later not mankind insane like we would see later but he didn't back down from anybody he fought like hell he had a mouth on him that made you want to see him get his ass kicked every time. <laughs> and then he wouldn't get his ass kicked. Uh, okay. You'd double your money down next time. God <laughs> damn it. You know, he's really yeah. done it this time. And so Piper was the only one who could reliably talk people into the building. Uh, the people that he partnered with cowboy, Bob Orton was a phenomenal technical wrestler. Not a good talker. Captain Lou was a decent talker, but he ran out of steam after the first four things that he would say. Piper could go forever. The shit that he <laughs> said, oh my god. Um, and uh, and and I'm trying to think. Uh, the only other wrestlers that I saw, they told great stories, um, in the ring, and in short, short promos. But Greg the Hammer Valentine was very subdued and laid back. He was a phenomenal wrestler. Um, Big John Stud, really good, good, good presence in the ring, credible threat to Hogan, shit for talking. Um, that's why they stuck him with Bobby Heenan. And we hadn't quite figured out, we, the WWF hadn't quite figured out the Heenan family aspect yet, having Bobby Heenan run a bunch of heels at someone and do all the talking for them. So you really want to see Bobby Heenan get his ass kicked, but yeah, but you were going to have to settle for his his proxies. Exactly. You know, I mean, Um, yeah, go on. He he sounds like a true Scotsman in that sense. Yeah, <laughs> um, they just yeah uh, coming from a family oh, who is very proud of like Scottish heritage. We right. love to talk. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah. the thing is, he's yeah, well. actually he was uh, from Saskatchewan, if I recall correctly. He's a Canadian. He was an orphan, lived in a halfway home. Oh, because he ran away from home at like fourteen because he just really didn't get along with his parents. He actually had a really, really fucking sad life. And if you look at him as a father, it's actually a wonderful redemption story. Oh, um, yeah, it's it's kind of nice. Uh, but that being neither here nor here. The, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Wendy Richter, by the way, is going to lose the championship to Leilani Kai, who was managed by the fabulous Moolah. And this is going to make it so that Wendy Richter is the challenger going into WrestleMania. Because then... You have the good guy winning at WrestleMania and getting the championship. Also, <laughs> little, let's finish up the Wendy Richter story. Um, Wendy Richter was later defeated for the title in November of 85. And I think there's something about November in the WWF and WWE that's when you screw over people who are champions. You remember the Montreal screw job? Yeah. How could I forget the Montreal screw job? Exactly. Um, this was the first screw job that Vince McMahon did against Wendy Richter. Yeah. Oh, it's a wild fucking story. Wendy Richter goes in and she's basically like, look, I am the top women's performer. 
I am Hulk Hogan's level. I should get paid what he gets paid. That's what she was talking to Monaghan, right? Right. Yeah. So I'm the one at the top level. Right. Now, here's the problem with that. That's what has been brought down to us by traditionalists or by the storytellers who have been part of the WWF. To hear her tell it, she said that she needed less dates and she did want a raise. She never says that she wanted a raise at Hulk Hogan level. Now, it could be that she did or it could be that she was just getting too uppity for Hogan's taste or for uh, for McMahon's taste. But either way, she's making a big deal about wanting more money and McMahon doesn't want to pay it to her. So she's still got the belt. And at that time, if you've got the belt, you've got some power over the booker. And so you either have a good relationship with the booker or you don't. And, you know, you can see where this is going. So she ends up in a match against somebody called the spider. And it's a woman who had not normally in the back, you would go over your match and shit like that, unless it was a Japanese wrestler, because you can't speak their language anyway, and you wouldn't go over it with them. And then you would just figure it out in the ring. They would know the result. You would know the result. And you would go and tell a story in X amount of minutes. But normally, though, if you're with an American wrestler, you go over, you don't go over necessarily the spots even. You just talk about, okay, we've got this much time. Is there anything you don't want me to do? Is there anything you want me to do? She didn't meet her opponent at all that night. Wendy Richter did not. Okay, this is November of 85. Um, so she uh, she goes out and she wrestles against the spider. And within minutes, not even three minutes, uh, Wendy Richter is pinned, even though she's not pinned. They give the title to the spider and the spider uh, takes the title and raises her hand. And Richter is like legit, like what the fuck just happened? Cause she got screw jobbed. This was a screw job on Wendy Richter to get the title off of her so that now she has no power and McMahon can broom her. Um, she she starts attacking and legit punching and kicking the shit out of the spider. Now, the crowd sees this and they're like, okay, this looks like something hinky went on. This is all part of the storyline, et cetera, et cetera, right? Still mm-hmm. looks kayfabe enough. She's beating the shit out of this woman. And this woman is like trying to get away really hard. Richter ends up ripping off her mask. Okay, she's dressed all in black. She rips off her mask. Guess who's under the mask? Fabulous Moolah. Yes. <gasps> And this all looks like the storyline played out, but it was a fucking screw job. Um, I don't know. There, there, maybe, maybe there needs to be an episode where I just cover all the screw jobs in wrestling, dude. Um, yeah, because that way we could also discuss Game Six of the Western Conference Finals between the Kings and Lakers. <laughs> God, I hate fake sports. Um, <laughs> so back to pro wrestling, though. But you're not bitter at all. <laughs> Literally, like, more than 20 years ago now. Like, kids today hate the Lakers in Sacramento and don't know why. <laughs> but you'll be happy to tell them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, back to the war to settle the score. Uh, so, we're back in February. Hogan goes for a second atomic drop. That's where I lift you up. And I drop your ass on my knee. And apparently, it causes a, a spinal shock. Uh, or Or it hits you in the grundle. It's never quite clear, but it's called an atomic drop, which is just a great name for a very yeah. 
basic mm-hmm. move. Back yeah. then, they sold the shit out of it, though. The best guy to ever take the atomic drop was Greg the Hammer Valentine. He, oh, God, his movements for it were just so funny. Um, but anyway, he he goes for a second atomic drop, and Piper counters with a quick punch, just like rabbit punches him in the face. Um, and this knocks Hulk Hogan into the referee, which knocks the referee out. And at this moment, Paul Orndorff comes out and drops a knee from the top rope onto Hulk Hogan while Piper's holding his legs. The two of them put the purple boots to, to Hulk Hogan. Well, they're not actually purple, but they put the boots to Hulk Hogan until Lauper jumps, uh, Cindy Lauper jumps up on the apron. And as Orndorff and Piper, finally Piper feels brave enough, move to attack Cindy Lauper, Mr. T jumps the guardrail, comes up onto the ring. T gets her to safety. Piper invites Mr. T into the ring. Now we've got something set up here. Oh, shit. <laughs> Here's the thing. Who was the main opponent for Rocky or in Rocky 3? Mr. T. Yep. The flamboyant and bellicose star of the A-Team, which had been a hit since 1983. Now, by this point, A-Team was ranking ahead of Monday Night Football. It had peaked at the number four position in the prior season. It was sitting comfortably in this year in the number six season, in the number six position while Mr. T, while Mr. T climbed into the ring. Um, the character of B.A. Baracus was specifically written for Mr. T, and it wouldn't be until November of 1985 that Hulk Hogan, Gene Okerlund, Dynamite Kid, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Bobby Heenan, Rick McGraw, Davey Boy Smith, Big John Studd, and Greg Valentine were actually in an episode. And it was specifically written to cash in on Hulk Hogan's popularity. So he shows up on TV, a national TV show. A a hit. Yes. National Masculine, TV show. Yeah. Aimed at young boys. Oh, national yeah. TV like, show. like, oh, money, 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 money. Yeah. yeah. Also, Dirk Benedict from the A-Team, uh-huh. and Rowdy Roddy Piper went on to star in the hilarious movie Body Slam that came out in 1986. Oh. If you want to pre-drink, we should watch that as a watch-along. <laughs> I'm there. Oh, God. Hogan was I'm, also... I'm there. He was also in another episode the following year, right before WrestleMania 2. No okay. coincidence there either, given all the press around Piper and Mr. T's boxing match for WrestleMania 2. Uh, and all of the invading the set that Piper did in advance of that match. So, back to February of 85. Mr. T gets in the ring. Orndorff distracted him enough so that Roddy Piper, quote, Pearl Harbored Mr. T, end quote. That's, that's, <laughs> that was a, fuck? <laughs> it is such a common term in wrestling in the 80s, a Pearl Harbor job, or you Pearl Harbored him. Um, and it's essentially where you hit someone when they're not looking. <laughs> Sneak attack. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they always, I can't, <laughs> they always lead it to a day of infamy. Oh, boy, howdy. Yeah. It's, it's, it is something. Now, this gives Hulk Hogan the chance to recover, with, and he starts to Hulk up, and he gives Mr. T a chance to get to his side, and at this point, security breaks in, pandemonium is set loose, and goddamn what an ending to the war to settle the score. This is on national TV with Hulk Hogan, network star Mr. T, 
embracing after what was called a Pier 6 brawl, because apparently Pier 6 has a lot of fucking brawls. Um, and clearly there is unfinished business between Hulk Hogan, Mr. T, Paul Orndorff, Cowboy Bob Orton, and Roddy Piper. Wait, hold up. Mm-hmm. Cowboy Bob Orton. Yeah, you he, remember he, he was, was helping. He yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he was uh he he was in Roddy Piper's corner. Okay. Yeah. He okay. he he just constantly feels like he's a background character at this point. He really is. He okay. really, yeah. really is. Um okay. and by the way, at this point, he is constantly wearing a cast on his arm. Um but he uses it in the ring all the time to hit people. Of course. It's like and they're like okay. well, and and the whole thing is like, well, I've got a doctor's note that says I can have it. Like it's straight, it's just <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's like, so what, good. Are, we, are we in middle school? What the fuck? I got a doctor's right. note. Come on now. So um yeah. Uh so so the only way you could settle this, of course, would be again in Madison Square Garden at WrestleMania. This is All the right. first WrestleMania. This is how they got there. Okay. Yeah. So afterwards, Hogan so, and T pose together, and and they start playing Hogan's pretty new music, "Real American." Mm-hmm. Oh, he hands his okay. championship belt to Mister T. He brings in David Wolf and Cindy Lauper into the ring, and they all leave to raucous applause, all on national cable television. All right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that, So here's the thing. Yeah, we we keep ahead. we keep there's there's event after event after event after event where I'm like, okay, so now now we are at Hulk Hogan's ascendancy. This is mm-hmm. this is this is the pinnacle. And then there's another thing and I'm like, okay, so this is the pinnacle. <laughs> nope. And now we have this whole thing and I'm like, this is not the pinnacle because you've suckered me too many times. Yeah, true. True. It feels like for anybody else it would be, right? But no, because you, I know that now we have now we have WrestleMania coming, which mm-hmm. like also not yeah. the pinnacle. Yeah, but yeah, and and that's just it. That's the point of wrestling is to edge you the whole mm-hmm. time. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's operatic edging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. So it's it's February 26, 1985. Hulk Hogan accompanies Cindy Lauper on stage as her bodyguard in a tuxedo that is missing its arms. Um of course. <laughs> I vaguely remember that. Yeah. This is of at course. the this is at the 27th Keep classy. Grammys. She wins for best new artist and and it's live on CBS. And he's standing behind her in his shirtless tuxedo with his 24-inch pythons crossed. And he looks like the fucking wall. Because she's only like 5'2", 105 pounds. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, no, she's 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 she weighs a buck soaking wet. Yeah. yeah. And he's you know he's six a seven gorilla. Yeah. yeah. He's build is six nine half yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, and at the end, she turns to him and asks him to pose. So he does a quick pose. And he is a tree. He is so mad. I cannot. I can't. Oh my god! He's so big. He is enormous. I'm just... You're watching it. 
Yeah, no, I just went on to Google and I like yep. Hulk Hogan, Cindy Lauper, Grammys, and, Grammys, and Jesus Christ, right? Okay, like, God damn it! Now I got to look it up. Yeah, I'm just gonna pull over. Like this is the first photo that came up, and just bam. Yeah, it's right there. In the it's, chat. It, look at they that cut. Shit. They cut off his. Yeah, they cut off, cut off his son of a head, bitch. Yeah, but like Jesus. Yeah, yeah. and there's. There's also the photos of her being held by him and stuff like that. You can, mm-hmm. like, you can, yeah. okay, in that, in that, in that pose where he's, where he's flexing. Yep. You can see his traps in the tux shirt. Yes. Yep. These are not accidents. Like, holy fuck. And this is no. at the Grammys. This is everybody who likes music is now seeing. This is, this is high society. Yes. This mm. is this is this is truly the glitterati. Like this yeah. is legitimate, like legitimate celebrities, not wrestling celebrities. Like, right. You know, not carny. These are not carny people. These right. are these are like famous, famous people. Like yeah, there holy you go. shit. <laughs> Look at these pictures. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. like three heads taller than she is. He That's really nuts. Is. Yeah. So oh uh, here's a great photo. I'm just oh. I'm trying to adjust it sure. because this is kind of relevant to what we're talking about. Uh, bam, bam, there. It's yeah, a second and load. there's so there's uh, Hulk Hogan in the picture, uh, Cindy Lauper, and Mr. T. Uh, all what the, the f- okay? Yeah, when somebody is big enough to make Mr. T look like a dwarf, he is so tiny compared to Hulk Hogan. Oh my god, is he tiny? Like when I first watched WrestleMania. I was a huge AT fan, A team fan, and I was getting into wrestling, right? Yeah. Um, and if I recall correctly, I watched them out of order because by the time we had a rental store on our corner, uh, it, I watched WrestleMania three, then WrestleMania one, and then WrestleMania two. Okay. Um, but uh, but in WrestleMania one, Mr. T was there, and I'm like, he's tiny. Like he is. Uh, I'll give you if you want to <laughs> if you want to know what Mr. T's weight class is. Yeah. Um. He is the same weight class as Jeff Hardy of the Hardy Boys. Really? Really? Both roughly about 217 to 225. So my weight class. Okay, that makes me feel good. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm more of a Hulk Hogan in the NWO. (laughs) Like like, seven inches shorter. Wow. Yeah. So. Damn. Yeah, and if you look at their hair in that picture, it's like Neapolitan ice cream. It's cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but, oh my god! So, by the way, at this time, Vince well, McMahon is also buying Time Up on Superstation TBS on March sixteenth. Oh, 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 wait, wait, yes. wait, wait, wait! Yes. McMahon is buying Time on TBS. Yes. So this is before he and Turner got into their rich guy dick waving contest. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because because those two guys being petty rich guys at each other is, is a fun story. Yeah. Like I live for you it. Just okay. root for injuries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> like when oh, Dallas boy. plays the Raiders. Like Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there you we hope go. there's a tornado. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, if there is, it's not going to matter because there's never a touchdown. Oh, that one I'll allow. Yeah, that one I'll totally allow. That's that's thank you for that one. I like that. Andrew, you were going to say something, though. Uh, No, I wasn't. Well, I was going to make a comment about the hair. I mean, like 
technically speaking, it looks looking at how red Hulk is um, with the sunburn on his literal scalp. It yeah. looks more like chocolate ice cream, sherbet, and then strawberry. Yeah, true. true. Yeah, yeah. But, but damn. So four days before WrestleMania on March 27th, I'm going to end with this story because holy shit. Um, four days before uh, March twenty uh, before WrestleMania, on March twenty seventh, Hulk Hogan appears on Richard Belzer's TV show Hot Properties with Mr. T. They were promoting WrestleMania. It's a New York based show. He's promoting it. Hogan plays his standard soft spoken, reasonable, nice guy. Mr. T is way more heavy with his words, and Richard Belzer kept doing as many reporters and comedians tended to do back then everything he could to jab at the fakeness of wrestling and play to the camera. Belzer spends all his time trying to get over on Mr. T with the same arrogance as any lazy, cynical liberal. He goes on and on about how, despite Mr. T's message of kindness, he's on a violent TV show. Uh, And and T was not happy to be there. There was a lot of pressure on him. And uh, by all reports, he was he was they needed someone to kind of sit with him the whole time. And Hogan kind of ended up doing that, but also fuck this guy. Um, but, uh, you know, I could, I could understand T feeling that way. Uh, I tend to like Richard Belzer, but here he really was being a coked up asshole. Uh, I kind of pity him. <laughs> yeah. I pity the fool. Um, yeah. but, but T was not happy to be there with him. And then Hogan comes out after. So T's there for the first segment alone. It doesn't go particularly well. Hulk Hogan comes out for the second segment. And uh, he he calls out Richard Belzer's cockiness. And he praises Mr. T's respect, restraint. And he says, quote, I don't want you busting anybody up until March 31st. And Hogan here comes off professional and incredibly good salesman. I mean, he basically said, this guy could have kicked your ass. He didn't. And by the way, March 31st, like all in one sentence. Like, that's really good. Yeah. He he got T over as a good guy, calls out uh, Belzer's antagonism, and promotes WrestleMania. Again, all in just like two sentences. Now, this leads to Richard Belzer taking off his jacket and pretending to get ready to fight. When Mr. T would point out that the news was far more violent than his TV show, than the A-Team, Belzer shouted, yeah, yeah, in that kind of condescending tone that, like, you know, when a kid tries to hype you up for enforcing the rules in your own class, and you're just like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, that's Belzer. Stand-up comedians really make terrible interviewers, I found, because they don't know how to step aside and let the other guy get over or help the other guy get over because they still think it's only their time instead of, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be here tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, he Belzer all but pulls back the curtain on the match and he asks what the vendetta is about against Piper and Orndorff. And Mr. T says that they had a vendetta against anybody that they went up against, to which Belzer responded, quote, I was particularly addressing the specific match in which you're going to make a huge sum of money. Uh, He literally can't let anyone else get over. Uh, And he has to appear to be the expert to be the one making the winking faces at the camera. He's the kid who tells the other kids that Darth Vader is Luke's father because he got to go see it a week earlier. And and you can just kind of see by the expression on Hulk Hogan's face, fuck, here we go again. (laughs) 
And Hogan actually points out that he still wrestles a heel style, but that he tries to do it fairly. And Belzer asks them to show him some moves. And Mr. T says, we ain't showing you nothing. And that's a quote. Hogan leaned over to T and told him, quote, and you can hear it, I'm going to make him squeal. Now, if you recall, Andy Kaufman kept kayfabe and got the ship slapped out of him uh, on purpose on the David Letterman show three years earlier in July mm -hmm. of 82. Right. Yes. Yeah. So Belzer goads Hogan into putting him into a front face lock, which immediately like he locked it in and knocked him the fuck out. And you can see Belzer just go completely limp. And Hogan I've asked Mr. This. T to, yeah, Hogan yeah. asked Mr. T to tell him when to let go. And Mr. T, T said to keep Belzer in there for a while, even after he'd gone completely limp. Ooh, shit. Oh. Mm -hmm. Wow. So Hogan realizes at one point, oh shit, he's gone limp. And so he, he, well, no, he doesn't actually, I'm sorry. But because he was such dead weight, that pulls his head out of Hogan's grasp and he hits the back of his head on the stage. Cracks oh. the back of his dome, and you know heads bleed really badly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and his definitely does. And he was out for a minute, and Hogan helps him up. He like grabs him by the the, the wrist, and he slaps him a couple times, and wakes him up. And Belzer, you can see there's some overwhelm on Mister T's face, like oh shit. Um, mm -hmm. but also fuck this guy. Um, right. Yeah. Hogan is trying to be like, oh come on, come on, you know. And also like I told you this shit is real, right? And Belzer pops up um, and and tries to save face. Like, we'll be right back. And I've heard about this happening with comedians who've been blackout drunk for three years and wake up on stage. And they literally don't know what happened three years in the last three years. They've gone through their entire lives. They've done work. I've worked with them during that blackout. I've had other comedians that I've known who they are lying under the chairs in the green room because they're so sick music hits they go out on stage they kill it for an hour and then they come back and they're just dead um so i get it i get it i mean shit mick foley gets thrown off the hell in the cell twice <laughs> and stays in character after waking up from being knocked out like when people in show business wake up yeah. they seem to have a default setting which is kind of cool but uh Belzer's trying to save face. Uh when they return from the musical number, and I, I I don't remember who the musical number was, but I think the producer of the show was on stage with Hulk Hogan um and Mr. T, and he's sitting in Belzer's chair and he said, quote, Richard was hurt. And he also said that Hulk Hogan didn't mean to do it, and Hogan stated stated that he felt really bad, but that Richard had asked him to demonstrate a professional wrestling hold, quote, and that's exactly what I did. End quote. Hogan here is absolutely protecting the business, keeping kayfabe. There's no Terry Balea in this. Quote, if you're not a professional athlete or not a professional wrestler, don't try to copy what you see the athletes or the professional wrestlers do on TV. End quote. And Hogan and Mr. T spend uh, their time putting over the business, keeping kayfabe the whole time. Mr. T was still mad at Belzer the whole way through, like he fucking had it coming, kind of kind of a vibe going on. Um, the producer pointed out that they did exchange a sign that they were going to teach Belzer a lesson. This is all on the show. The, the producer's like, you, you kind of did that, you know. Um, and, uh, and Hogan fired back that they were told, quote, there were... <laughs> 
here's the interesting thing. This is a total pivot because Mr. T and Hogan point out that um, that they were told, quote, there were 50 crippled children here in wheelchairs, and that's why we're here today, end quote. Um, and then the producer said that Belzer wasn't laughing in Hogan's face, which is one of those things, those things that's like letter versus spirit true, because he mm. absolutely was laughing in Hogan's mm -hmm. face the whole time without actually laughing in his face. And so to recap, and, and here's <laughs> here, here's the thing I really want us to remember. Hulk Hogan gives a really insincere apology saying that he'd assumed Richard Belzer had some modicum of physical fitness. Wow. <laughs> I'm I'm so sorry you're a pencil neck dweeb. Right. Wow. And compared to Hogan, Richard Belzer is a pencil neck dweeb, right? Yeah. I mean, but he is both project protecting the business and really not actually apologizing for what he did while sounding and acting contrite. He's putting on all the appearances of these things. And Mr. T fucking doesn't want anything to do with it. He's not contrite at all. He does not apologize one iota. But it's Hogan that I'm focused on here. Yeah. So it's a really interesting thing that we see all the way back in 1985 mm -hmm. about that. Now, interestingly, Jim Cornette, wrestling historian, former manager, guy who carried around the tennis racket all the time, claimed that it was due to Belzer being coked up that he went out so quickly. <laughs> now, I'm not... Uh, I know, know, know nothing about these things, but apparently if you're coked up, your heart rate is beating faster. And if your heart rate is yeah. being faster, you're going to choke out quicker because when you cut off the, the blood supply, I, I guess it's pumping out of you quicker or something. I don't know. I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not a wrestler. I'm not a, an expert on, on veins. Um, but Richard Belzer was a comedian in the 1980s who was acting hyper-aggressive and chatty on his own show. Oh. So circumstantial evidence is there. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, And Belzer, a week later, would host another episode of his show, and he showed his stitches, and then he highlighted John Stossel getting slapped down by Dr. D. Uh, and all of this is incredibly free publicity for Hulk Hogan and the WWF. Uh, later on, Richard Belzer would sue Terry Bollea, and it would be argued in 1990. It would take that long. And they ended really? up settling out of court. Yeah. And the award went to Richard Belzer, and he used the settlement to buy a country house in the French Riviera. And do you know what he named it? What? Shea Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. I can see that. So that's yeah. where I'm going to end this episode. We're still not at WrestleMania. In fact, we're not Jesus even to Saturday Christ. Night Live. Oh man, Holy shit. Yeah, but I know that uh, there was a lot of meat on that bone. So let's let's wow. gnaw into that a little bit, like Moon okay. Rex would have. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> good callback. Thank you. Good. Good job. Good job bringing that brick joke back around. Good Thank work. You. So Richard, <laughs> wow. or Richard, Jesus, I was just talking about Richard Belder. Uh, Andrew, what are you noticing in terms of all of, I mean, we're seeing more and more media exposure. We're seeing him acting yeah. contrite, but not being contrite. Mm -hmm. um, uh, well, what's really getting, what really makes me interested is that how Hogan knows his audiences. Uh, he like just basic public speaking skills. You reflect on who your audience is and then you construct a message tailored to them. So when he was promoting, um, what was it? It was um, 
wrestling on MTV. He mm-hmm. was more energetic. He was he was in your face, kind of staying in that kayfabe mindset and yeah. like, oh, the Hulk's gonna give it to you, whatever. Yeah, but then I got ten on, seconds uh, to Hulk you out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, what was his name again? The comedian, Belzer, again? Richard Belzer, Belzer, yeah. Bellend, um, <laughs> Belzer. Um, um, he he's coming off as more polite. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, similar to Jimmy Carson when he was on there. He was like, "Hey, Johnny I'm Carson. here." Yeah, um, Jimmy Carson, Johnny Carson, Jimmy Johnny Carson. Car- yeah. Uh, I'm getting yeah. my, uh, yeah, I'm getting my, it's okay. Yeah, it's strong, okay. yeah, yeah, don't, um, yeah, no, I'm sorry. It's a, it's a long day. Um, <laughs> he's more yeah. polite and, yeah. and, and, and it's based around the format most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. more sit down interviews in comparison to, um, I'm going to introduce promo. promo stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. And how he handles a situation in front of that audience is very interesting too because he's like mm-hmm. his, where Mr. T is Mr. T's basically kayfaving the entire time too. He is. Yeah. He could be kayfaving well, for a different thing. He he's he yeah. Yeah, there's there's a there's a really interesting like the 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 persona of Mr. T is a is an episode or 3 all on its own. Yeah. Like his his well, I, I anyway carry on with what with what you're because the, the actually now that I think I about it, talk about mm-hmm. now that I think about that, I don't. I think it's just Mr. T. That's his personality. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I well, wonder because yeah. he he does it, he seems to have only one forward facing personality aspect to him, and yeah. that is slightly irritated and aggressive. But if you listen to his interviews long enough, like the reason why he wears where he why he used to wear all the gold. And I think he stopped mm-hmm. right after Katrina. Actually. He did. He yeah. did. But the reason that he used to was that my people were enslaved for gold. And yeah. we, were, we were made poor despite, you know, because of that. So I'm going to wear as much gold as possible so that people see black people with gold. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Even in that, he was confrontational, which mm-hmm. I got no problem with that. Um, no. But he is he is kind of bellicose in his forward personality. Um, now as he's aged, he's a little less so, mm-hmm. but he still kind of is talking. He's talking almost as though he's punching you. Yeah. He's no, I love him. Jabs. I love yeah. him on Twitter because it seems like that too. Yeah. 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 Another fun follow on Twitter is the Iron oh. Sheik because holy shit, that guy's unhinged on Twitter. It's so fun. Oh, <laughs> oh my like God. in a good way or like, mm, bad way. I, you know, it's entertaining and I think he's okay. leaning into it, but okay. Ooh. But but yeah, I I think Mr. T's forward for facing personality is that I I've never sat down with the man, but I've seen deep enough interviews where he gets into some very tender t- subjects, and you see that mostly fading away. Okay, but I do think you're right. I think uh, what we saw in the Belzer interviews was him turned up to eleven, and most most of the time he walks around turned up to nine. Mm-hmm. So yeah yeah yeah. Um, you know a thing I noticed there with with Hogan is when he was with Wendy Richter she was she was bland so he was exciting. Yeah. When yeah. He's there that's with the other T. He Hogan adjusts cuz T's already being aggressive so he doesn't need to be is what it feels like. And then uh, as well as um oh I can't get Bellin's name right. Belzer. 
Belzer. Um, he Jimmy also Belzer. is no. Jimmy Belzer. No. Um, Richard Belzer. <laughs> Dick Belzer. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, he also is very eccentric in many ways, too. True. So now that I think about it, he I this is a big thing about Hulk Hogan. He I think he's trying to make himself like, how can I be different from the other people I'm working with? Uh, if they are more monotone, I'm going to be more eccentric. Mm-hmm. If they are more eccentric, I'm going to be more calm and professional. Mm-hmm. It's it's and, almost yeah. as though he had taken acting classes, because yeah. one, one of the one of the lessons that you get in in stage acting, particularly, is um, I, I say this as you know a drama nerd, um, but what, one of the things that you get taught is. Uh, you pull focus by being by by taking whatever the energy is and not you don't try to match that energy if you match the energy you're you're part of the scene if you mm-hmm. stand out from the energy you're you're pulling you're you're pulling you pull focus yeah. you know if there's if there's somebody over on one of, like theater etiquette if if somebody's in the middle of his monologue don't drum your fingers on the table yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. And and I don't know whether Hogan ever got or uh 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 Terry uh Balea ever got any any formal kind of training. He had but, not by by everything that I've looked at okay. he he had not. But he seems to have somehow intuitively figured that out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he's he's figuring out what is the scene, right? He's reading the situation, and he's adjusting his energy. Uh, in in a way, in a way to to complement that, and and draw focus. And the other thing that gets me about about this whole situation is when he is doing the high energy part. Mm-hmm. It's like he's creating layers to the persona, like when he's cutting a promo, when he's in the ring, when he's, you know, doing stuff with Lopper, it's the, you know, I hear you, brother, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and all that. And that is the Hulk Hogan is on. This is, this is, he is, he is the incredible Hulk Hogan. And then when he's being interviewed, he's still Hulk Hogan. Mm Mm-hmm. But well, you know, I'm not in the ring right now, and and you know, this is this is me being, this is me being a normal human being. This is who I am as just you know a person. I'm not I'm not on right now. But the thing is, he's still on as Hulk Hogan. It's not Terry Bollea being being right. interviewed. Well, right? that's the thing about kayfabe. You know, well, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it it is it is 100 part of part of the business. But when we're specifically talking about Hulk Hogan and and the way like when at the beginning of of our of our first episode with us talking about how like we don't we don't know anything about this like everything we have uh you know everything that we think we know is coming from a source that ultimately may very well have been constructed by Hulk Hogan himself yes as part of his own story it's all that carny stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're absolutely and, right. and, and now I'm just thinking which... about Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, now I'm just thinking about like Hulk Hogan being like a theater kid 
Just, <laughs> just being like, now yeah. is the winter of our dis- discontent. <laughs> Make glorious summer by this brother of York. <laughs> just thinking about that is making me laugh. Do you I bite your would... thumb at me, sir? Sir, I live by the four demandments. <laughs> I, you know what? I'd pay money. I, I would, know. I would put money down to see that particular interpretation of either one of those characters. I would like to see. Like, ooh, I would like to see Macho Man Savage as Macbeth. This damn spot won't come out, no, sir. Uh-huh. Is this a dagger in my hand? And, uh-huh. Is this a dagger I see before me? Yeah. The hilt turned toward my hand. Oh, and yeah. then it's got to be King Lear as played by the Ultimate Warrior. Like, you got to. Like, if you've ever watched an Ultimate Warrior promo. Oh, King Lear. There you go. Yeah, I love it. That's yeah. perfect. I love it. Well, but, you know, yeah. So it's it's just there are, there are so many layers of artifice. Mm-hmm going on that it's that it's hard to tell like when when he's being soft-spoken hulk hogan you know reasonable guy hulk hogan is that if if we were to sit down with like terry balea and interview terry balea as terry balea would he sound like that well i will tell you like what level we will see Terry Bollea take the stage or take the uh, the the defendant's stage at one point. Take the oh, stage. Okay. <laughs> and it's still kayfabe. I well, do not, okay. He's, I do not he's, think that that man. He's the defendant in trial. So, uh, yes. I mean, no, he's the plaintiff, actually. Um, he's the plaintiff. Yeah. But it's still kayfabe. And I he's do still not in think court. That, yeah. So, I do not think yeah. that man knows how not to do kayfabe. To be perfectly honest, I think he he has spent so much time in it that you are what you pretend to be. Oh wow! So the mask the mask has has the taken over. Okay, yeah. wow, cool. So not not to the extent where like he can still separate being Terry from being Hulk, but yeah. I don't think being Terry is an authentic experience for anybody around him. Wow. Yeah. That's I, that's I could remarkably be deep and kind of uh, bad. Bad, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, I think we've gleaned quite a bit there. Uh, Andrew, is there anything you wanted to close with on that, or shall we go to recommendations and where to find us? I think it's perfect to go on to recommendations. Cool. Well, uh, I will start. I'm recommending this week that you read National Wrestling Alliance: The Untold Story of the Monopoly That Strangled Professional Wrestling. Um, it is a great book. Uh, the chapters are short and accessible. It goes kind of territory by territory at first, and then it goes era by era because leadership and ownership changes, uh, in the territories. And there's a lot of names that I didn't know. And it, it, it is, um, you know, I never got into the Holy Roman empire. Um, I think I understand (sighs) it now. That's a feat. (laughs) So... I mean, yeah. we need to start with the fact that it was neither holy nor Roman nor really an empire. But okay, this was neither wrestling nor national nor an alliance. So there you go. It's, um, it's a cartel and, of carny workers. Yeah. So there you go. And so. and speaking of historical kayfabe, by mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, what are you recommending, Ed? Um, I I don't have anything to recommend okay. this week other okay. other than 
I'm I'm actually going to say um go back and and take a look at um no I don't I I had something for half a second and it went away. Uh <laughs> so no I I have I have no recommendations. I'm going to hand it over to our guest. All right. So um I started re- reading recently uh because my research is in the media literacy but I also look at like conspiratorial thinking. Uh, I started reading through Mike Rothschild's No Relation to the Main Topic of the Book, Jewish Space Lasers, uh, The Rothschilds and 200 Years of Conspiracy Theories. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Wow, you, it, you've read my V episodes then, have you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> uh, yeah, so it's basically just a book about like talking about like the conspiratorial thinking that emerged from these this one family and right. basically talks about like why they're not accurate but also talks about like generally like a lot of anti-semitism and why it tends to be associated with conspiratorial thinking i love it i love it nah, i do too but i also hate it at the same time no. yeah 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 <laughs> so cool well uh let's see uh Ed, where can you be found, or do you want to be found? Um, I do not want to be found at this point. Um, I, I remain a shadow in the warp. Uh, we collectively, of course, uh, can be found at uh, wubba, wubba, wubba dot geekhistorytime.com on the internet. Uh, you have obviously found the podcast since you're listening to it right now. Uh, we, we can be found uh, on uh, Stitcher and the Apple Podcast app, wherever it is that you have found us, uh, I do ask that you uh, please take the time to give us the five-star review that uh, you know we deserve and hit the subscribe button. And uh, you individually, sir, where can you be found? Uh, let's see. You can find me in these streets um, probably August 4th uh, at Luna's doing Capital Punishment in Sacramento at 8 p.m. Uh, or September 8th uh, at Luna's doing Capital Punishment at 8 p.m. I think that's the best place to find me at now. Um, and, of course, obviously on this fine podcast, you really should start rewinding through. You owe it to yourself to listen to several of our other episodes. So I'm glad you found us, uh, but you, you got some work to Check do. Check the archives. Yeah. 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 Do it. I dare Andrew, you. how about you? Where can you be found? Hi. <laughs> Hi, you can find me at, uh, if you want to follow me on TikTok, you can follow me at prof.suds, um, S-U-D-S. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter. I think it is prof underscore suds. And then uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's A-D suds. Um, I had a friend ask me recently, why why suds? It's just my last name, Sutherland. We take the first two letters of Sutherland and the last letter of the yeah. last name, suds. Yeah, uh, family nickname. Um, if you find me in the streets, um, you can say hi. You should buy him coffee. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. I'm you a go, broke yeah. grad student. You can buy yeah. me coffee. Nice. Or well, cool. Beer. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this. Oh, um, it was my there, pleasure. Did yeah, and you already recommended. Hey, sorry. I yeah, gotta have my you time. can also give this podcast a five star rating. I do. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, sir. All the cool yeah. kids do that. Yeah, and so does Andrew. All right, so for A Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s. Ooh, yeah!